Lord's house today. I was thinking uh, this week of the preacher who was uh, building a fence around his property. Uh, it was on a Saturday, and there's a sidewalk that uh, went right down uh, his property, and, and so he was out there with a nail bag and hammer, and he was building the fence, and, and he saw out of his peripheral vision a little kid that came walking by, and the little kid just stopped and was standing there, and the preacher thought, well, sooner or later he's going to walk on, but the little kid never did, so finally the preacher stopped working and went over to the boy and said, son, would you, would you like to learn a lesson on carpentry? Would you like to learn how to build a fence? little kid shook his head and he says, nope, I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> Which is very interesting, is it not? Uh, today I want to pro- talk to you about or preach about holiness, all right? So I think that's a good interlude to this message, holiness. I'm in 1 Peter chapter 1, and our series on Praise the Lord, I, I, I've kind of camped out in 1 Peter, the, the first chapter, And uh, we've been talking about not only praising the Lord, but how should we live based on the goodness and the mercy and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, in the first 12 verses of 1 Peter, it gives us this glorious description of our great salvation that's been provided in Jesus Christ. Let me remind you what verse 3 said. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and it is kept in heaven for us. Now, church, let me tell you, this is something to praise the Lord about, all right? Praise the Lord. God has given us new birth. Praise the Lord. He's given us a living hope. Praise the Lord. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise the Lord. And because of that, we can have an inheritance in heaven that this world can't touch or take away. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, people. Praise the Lord. Amen? Now, the application of all of this is found in verse number 13. Peter says, therefore, and as we discovered a couple of weeks ago, there are two imperatives that are found in verse 13. They answer the question, in light of this great salvation that God has provided for us, how then should we live? Okay, are you following me? Based on God's great salvation, the new birth, the living hope, the inheritance in heaven, How then should we live? Well, number one, we should live with an attitude of hope. It brings us to verse 13. That's where we're going to start today. 1 Peter 1.13. Peter said, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So based on this great salvation and the miracle of the new birth and the living hope, we should live with that hope in mind. It should be an attitude that consumes our life. We are hopeful people. Why? Because we have an inheritance in heaven waiting for us that the world can't take away. How then should we live? Number two, we should live with a lifestyle of holiness. That brings us to verses 14 through 16. Peter says, As obedient children, 
Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy, God said, because I am holy. So here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to talk about God's holiness and our holiness. God is a holy God. And he has called us to be his holy people. And there are two ways the Bible describes our holiness. First of all, it tells us that in Christ we have been made holy. So if you're here today and you are a believer, you are holy. God has made you holy. That is your position in Jesus Christ. From the very moment you are saved, you become God's holy people. He has set us apart for himself. The Bible calls us saints. It calls us his holy ones. And I don't want to get too deep for you this morning, but to talk in in doctrinal terms, this is called positional sanctification. In Christ, I'm holy. Now, let me tell you, none of us are holy. We're all born in sin. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. But you know what? All of that changes when we're saved. God changes us from the inside out. And he makes us his holy people. So positionally, in Christ, I'm holy. And you are too. Did you know that? It is good news. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm holy. And they're saying, really? Really? So not only are we already holy, but the Bible tells us that in Christ we are becoming holy. This is our practice. This has to do with this ongoing process of sanctification in our lives, where in our everyday lives we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And again, to use doctrinal or theological terms, we call this progressive sanctification. And it means that in Christ, every day, I become more like him. Therefore, I am more holy every day. So today, I should be more like Jesus than I was yesterday. And tomorrow, you should be more holy, more like God than you are today. That's why Peter said, be holy in all that you do. So church, we are striving to live our lives to where everything we do reflects the holiness of God, that we are set apart for God. But yet in spite of this clear teaching of the Bible, many believers don't don't see themselves in that light. For example, a survey was published just a couple of years ago by the Barna Group, and it revealed that, that Christians... Surveyed, it's only Christians that were surveyed. That of the Christians surveyed, only half of them said that they knew someone they would describe as holy. So, you're following this? Only Christians were surveyed. The question Do you know someone holy? And only half of them said, uh, I think I do. And only 30% of these Christians surveyed considered themselves holy. Something is not adding up here. Something is not computing, is it? I think there is something that is is drastically wrong. Because the Bible says that, in fact, if you are in Christ, you are 
You are holy. Now, I, I know we kind of have this underlying current in the church. Oh, you know, woe is me. I'm, I'm just a sinner. I'm, I can't do anything right. I'm just, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to tell you, on your own, that's exactly what you are. You're a sinner. But when you've been saved by the grace of God, everything changes about that. And God has made you holy. So get it. In Christ, you are holy. Maybe it's just that we just... We just can't comprehend this. We don't understand it. So let's allow Peter to explain it to us this morning, all right? Number one, he tells us that we are called by a holy God. In fact, God is calling everyone in this room, even you balcony people. Let me, are you up there, balcony people? One of you. Come on, balcony people, do you hear me? Here's your chance. Come on, balcony people, one more time. God is calling all of us to be holy people. But you understand this. He's a holy God. And so there is a holy God calling us to be his holy people. That's why it tells us in verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in everything that you do. Because it is written, be holy, God said, because I am holy. So we are called by a holy God to be his holy people. Amen? Amen? We got that? That's why Peter said in chapter 2, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built up into this spiritual household to be a holy priesthood where you offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then a couple of verses later in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness and into his marvelous light. Thank you for amen in here, because this is, this is praiseworthy. He's saying this, God has called you out of the dark old life that you used to live. He has gloriously provided salvation, changed you from the inside out. Why? So that you could declare his praises. Amen. Praise be unto God. So, my point is this, and I'm getting carried away, okay? I'm getting carried but the point is this. It all starts... With our holy God. God is holy. Holiness is one of the awesome attributes of the God who calls us to himself. And church, if we are thinking right about God, one of the first things that we think about is that God is holy. Now, I know we like to talk about God is love and God is grace and God is mercy. But the underlying attribute and characteristic of God is that he is a holy God. That is, he is totally different and distinct and untouched and untainted by anything that is impure or sinful. Amen. That's, that's who he is. Yet, that, that, that's not really the way most people see God. In fact, a few years ago, Baylor University in Waco, Texas, released the results of a study looking into America's different views of God. And they broke it down into four different views that Americans have of Almighty God. These four different 
categories. There are those who believe in an authoritarian God. In fact, 31.4% of Americans see God as this authoritarian dignitary who is angry at humanity's sins and he is enraged with wrath towards us. And he's, he's authoritarian. He's, he's powerful. He's in control. He's ruling us with this iron scepter. 31% of Americans see God just in that light. On the other end of the spectrum, 23% of Americans see God as just this benevolent benefactor. He's this loving God who's, who is forgiving and accept, accepting of anyone. He feels sorry for us, and, and he, he's a teddy bear God. Okay, 16% see God as a critical God who has his judgmental eye on the world. But they believe God will never intervene either to punish or to comfort. He's just critical, pointing out our faults. And then another 24.4% see God as a distant God who, who is more of a cosmic force that launched the world and then he just left the world spinning on its own. Here's the amazing thing about this. None of these views of God even remotely captures the biblical understanding of who God is and what his attributes are. They, they don't even come close. The underlying factor of the attributes of God is that he is holy. And, and we skim over that because I'm telling you, can I just be even as Christians, sometimes holiness is not on the top of our list of things we want to do and be. Can I tell you, it's hard work to be holy. And the world is going to scorn you if you're holy. In fact, when I said I'm going to preach on holiness, some of you just went ahead and flipped me off. Not to, uh, That didn't sound right. <laughs> Tune me out. I better step now. Yeah. Oh, boy. I guarantee every Sunday I go home and think, boy, did I really say that? Well, I, I said it this morning. When I said I'm preaching on holiness, some of you tuned me out. Because, you know, we, we, we don't, we, we don't want to think that way. But let me tell you, God's holy. And the Bible says if you want to see God one day, you've got to be holy too. It, that's his key attribute. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said this, Neither the writer nor the reader of these words is qualified to appreciate the holiness of God. He's saying neither himself or you or us are qualified to really understand or appreciate the fullness of God's holiness. Here's what Tozer said. Quite literally, a new channel must be cut through the desert of our minds to allow the sweet waters of truth that will heal, heal our great sickness and flow into us. Because on our own, we know nothing like divine holiness. Tozer went on to say, holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not have to conform to a standard because God is the standard. And our holiness starts, listen, it starts with a calling of a holy God. It doesn't start with our deciding one day, oh, you know what, I think I'm going to be holy today. Yeah? 
It doesn't work that way. I know there is a sense of determination that has to be on our part of the equation, but it really starts with this call upon our lives from a holy God. God has to touch your heart for you to become a holy person. And let me tell you, if you're here this morning, I've, I've just got to—I got to believe He's calling you. <laughs> I mean, you're—you're you're just not here out of happen chance. You're here because God wants you here. Why? Because He's calling you. He's speaking to your heart. Yesterday, I was with a bunch of people who I, God may have been calling them, but the, I'm telling you what—that phone line was shut down. They weren't listening. There, some of the people I was with yesterday, really, I could. there was no holiness evident, nor was there a desire to be holy or to follow God. And I was thinking to myself, these poor people, the only way, the only way their lives are going to be changed and transformed is that call of God upon their life. They have to open the door and let God in. and They need to listen to that call. And I believe today you're here and God is calling you to be a holy person. That's the way it was when Isaiah saw that awesome vision of God. I don't know that he went into the temple that day really expecting to find what he found or to see what he saw. But let me tell you, he got a dose of God. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. And he happened to walk into the temple. And what did he see? He saw God high and exalted and lifted up on the throne. And his train was filling the temple. And he saw these seraphim all flying around. And what were they doing? They were calling to one another in worship and saying this before the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so Isaiah connected. He saw God. He saw the holiness of God, not the grace of God, not the mercy of God. He saw God's holiness. And, and what did that cause Isaiah to do? He said, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. By the way, let me throw this in. Don't mistake holiness for a holier-than-thou self-righteous attitude. Because, I mean, they're totally different. It was just the opposite for Isaiah. The holiness of God devastated Isaiah's self-righteousness. It's this kind of vision of a holy God that I believe needs to consume us. You know, we need to stop looking at the world and start looking at God. Huh? And so we're called by a holy God. You got that one? Number two, we become children of a holy God. Verse 14, as obedient children. So we're called by a holy God, and then when by faith we respond and invite Jesus into our heart, we become obedient children. Literally, children of obedience. We become children of a holy God, and our new nature is to obey our Heavenly Father. And can I tell you something? That is the opposite of the way we were before we got saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, You, who are Christians, formally walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. 
And so church, this is what distinguishes believers from non-believers. Non-believers are called children of disobedience. character of a believer is to be obedient to God. The basic character of a non-believer is to be disobedient to God. So, as a child of a holy heavenly father, our new nature is to obey our heavenly father. And anything less than that is going to be inconsistent with the new nature that God has given us. I'm losing you, so I want to gather you back in. We're called by a holy God. We become children of a holy God. He's our heavenly father. What do we do? We obey him. It's as simple as that. Why? Because we're a child of God. Now, when all my kids were living at home and they would go out, Angie and I, sometimes we would say to them, don't forget who you are. Y'all ever said that to your kids? Don't forget who you are. A couple of things goes along with that. Number one, they're Harmons. And Dad, Harmons act different, don't they? Oh boy, they sure do. <laughs> this generation of Harmons act differently. Miss Gell, we've got a good reputation in town. In Greenwood, our family name is, is a good name. And poor Zane, he had this reputation to keep up with his, with his two sisters. But you know what? It, it meant more than that. It meant more then you've got a good family name to uphold. Here's what it really means. Don't forget who you are. You're a child of God. You're one of God's holy children. You belong to Him. You obey Him. So when the world is telling you to go this way or do this thing, you say no to the world and yes to God because we are His child. Number three, it goes deeper than that. We are not only called by a holy God and changed by a holy God. Number three, we are are children of a God. We are changed by a holy God. The purpose of a holy God calling us to himself as children of obedience is for the purpose of changing us and transforming us from the inside out. Listen to what Peter said in verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform... To the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, it's not socially acceptable to call people ignorant today, I don't believe, is it? I mean, we don't walk around saying, you're ignorant. I tried that one time when I was a kid and I got punched in the face. You, you, You don't tell people that they're ignorant. But you know what? That's exactly what we are outside of Jesus. That's what a person is without God. Peter says it. You are ignorant. That is a description of our life before Jesus Christ, before we met God. We lived in ignorance. What do I mean by that? Well, we didn't know God. We were ignorant of Him. We did not know His Word. We were ignorant of His Word. We did not know who He was, or we did not know what He expected from our life. And in this state of ignorance, we are lost. Now, guys, that's heavy, isn't it? In our ignorance, we are lost. And we live life that is driven by what verse 14 calls evil desires. So are you with me? Without God, we are ignorant. 
We are lost and we are living with these evil desires inside of us. The word describes our deep longings or lusts that are selfish and sinful. These selfish and sinful desires are like this fire burning inside of us. And and it's fueled and fed by the world. And this desire is warring against our soul. Peter said in chapter 2 verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain, stay away from sinful desires which war against your soul. But when we are called by a holy God to become children of obedience, the change begins to happen inside of us. We no longer conform to these evil desires. We no longer say yes to the devil and to the world. We no longer act like we did when we lived in ignorance and were lost. We've been changed. God's transformed us. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Do not conform. Same word that Peter has just used in verse 14. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, Paul said. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the change. That's the change that's happened. That we say yes to God. And I I think all of us would, you know, we would agree, yes, that's right. I mean, this is right, isn't it? We're called by a holy God. We become children of a holy God. We've been changed by a holy God, right? We'd all agree with that, but, but practically, how do we do that? I mean, we can accept it, but how do we do it? How do we flesh it out? Well, I got to thinking about that. I think you got to go back to verse number 13. Peter said, here's how you do it, by thinking right. Your mind is ready for action. You start thinking the way God thinks. And then number two, you exercise a little bit of self-discipline. This is really positive preaching, isn't it? But really, guys, isn't that the truth? I mean, God, God has equipped us and given us everything we need to live a holy life. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Get off the fence, man. Quit conforming to the things of this world. Stop following the pattern of ignorant living. You know the truth. The truth sets us free. Let's live it. Let's live the truth. You say, well, it's hard to do in a fallen world. Yes, it is. But it's not impossible. We have several godly examples, people in the Bible and and also people of of flesh that that have lived before us and are living now. You know what? It can be done. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he was genuinely a holy man. At the age of 20, the desire for holiness consumed him. And so he sat down and he wrote out this covenant that he made with God. And here's what his covenant with God said. Number one... I will rise every morning sufficiently early and have a few minutes, no less than five, for private prayer. Number two, 
I will avoid all the babbling and idle talking in which I have so lately and so sinfully indulged in. (laughs) I'm just going to let that one soak in for a second, all right? Number three, I will endeavor to conduct myself as a humble, meek, and zealous follower of the bleeding lamb, my Lord and Savior Jesus, and by serious conversation and warning, endeavor to lead others to think of their immortal souls. Number four, I will read no less than four chapters in God's Word every day. Number five, I will strive to live closer to God and to seek after holiness of heart and leave providential events in the hands of God. And number six, I'm going to read this covenant every day or at least twice a week. Then he said, God help me. Enable me to cultivate a spirit of self-denial and to yield myself a prisoner of love to the Redeemer of the world. Signed, William Booth. It's his covenant with God. So let me tell you, if, if you were to really live a holy life, it means more than just talking. It means doing. So I'm going to challenge you to go home. You write a covenant out to God. Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. But with your help, this is how I'm going to live my life. And I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. Guys, let me tell you, I I am far from, if you think I'm perfect, what was that word that Peter used? I'm not going to call you. I'm not perfect. But I've made a determination. I'm going to live as holy as I can live. And I'm going to say yes to God, no to the devil. And I'm going to do my best to be an obedient child of God. Even when nobody's looking. Why? God's always looking. I'm not tooting my own horn. Please don't think I am. But this really, it's about living life every day. But a week and a half ago, I I pulled into a parking lot here in town of a big business. In fact, I won't tell you where it was at because you'll go there looking on the ground. But anyway, I pulled in the parking lot and I parked far from the building because I don't want my doors hit. And so I pulled in and uh, as I got out of my truck, I noticed something lying on, on, in the parking lot and it was green. And, and I, I saw a $5 bill there and some other bills. And so I, I went over and I reached down and I, some of them were rolled up together and others were over here and I just picked them up. And so I'm looking around. Who lost this money? And there's nobody in the parking lot. No, nobody's inside. There's, not an, there's cars out there, but no other humans. And, and so I start walking into the building, and I see the five, and then there's a 20, another 20, a third 20. That's 65. I'm thinking, hmm. And there's a whole wad over here in my hand. And so I start peeling these things off, and they're $100 bills. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. $865 in cash. It's in the parking lot. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, honestly, I didn't even have that temptation. Now, I'm I'm no superhuman saint, okay? I thought, here's what I thought. The poor person who lost this money, if they go home and tell their wife they lost $865, there is no telling... (laughs) You know, let's get it on. Wouldn't you be heartbroken and devastated if you left $865 out in the parking lot? Yes. 
And so I'm thinking, man, I, somehow I've got to find the person who lost this money. And, and so I walked in the store and, and thinking, well, what in the world? What do I do? And, and I, I don't want to just give it to a cashier. So I asked for the manager to come. And, and so the manager came and, and uh, I, I said, dude, I was just out in the parking lot and I, I found this wad of cash and, and I can't keep it. I, I want to turn it over to you and hopefully the person's going to come back and, and, uh, and pick it up. And he said, oh, okay, what is it? And I started, Gary started counting it out. One, two, three, four, five, $865. His eyes are this big. He couldn't, he couldn't believe that I brought it in. And as he went to put it in the safe, and I pray to God that he made it to the safe with it, <laughs> he said, thank you for your honesty. And it, 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 You know, maybe I didn't do the right thing. Maybe I should have held the money and give him... But I, th- I thought I should have given him my name and number and said, if somebody comes in here looking for money, tell them to call me. If they can tell me exactly how much it was, I'll give it back to them. But you know what? I, I didn't do that because, Freddie, it wasn't mine when I walked in the store. It wasn't mine when I got out of the truck. It belonged to somebody else, and it's, it, it, it wasn't mine. And I don't, guys, I don't know if I did the right thing, but I did the thing I believe God told me to do. Because I'm his child, and I want to be conformed to his image. And that brings me to point number four. We are consecrated for a holy God. Holiness means that I wholly and completely and totally belong to God. When something or someone in the Bible were consecrated, it means that they were set apart for the use and the purpose of of a holy God. That's why he says in verse 15, But just as he who called you is holy, so be you holy. Or as the Phillips translation puts it, be holy in every category of your life. Every category of our life should be consecrated unto God. Our thought life, our family life, our dating life, our educational life, our vocational life, our words, our bodies, everything, lock, stock, and barrel should be consecrated to God. We should be totally His. Why? Again, he told us in chapter 2, verse 9, you're a God's chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So church, here's, here's the bottom line. God's grand design for your life is for you to be holy. And can I tell you, it's not an option. God said, be holy because I am holy. So I want to end with just a simple question. What's the greatest desire of your life? Now, if if you go out on the street and ask people that, probably most of them would would say, well, to be happy. So I'll, I'll put it like this. Is the greatest desire of your life to be happy or to be holy? And if you said, the greatest desire of my life is to be happy, I'm sorry, but you'll never, you'll never be happy. Because happiness will always elude you. Happiness is like water. You can't hang on to it. Why? Because God didn't make us that way. God did not design us for life to work like that. But if you make holiness your great goal, your main goal in life to be holy as God is holy... God is going, listen to me, God is going to give you something greater than happiness. 
We studied it last week. If you make holiness your desire to be like God, God is going to fill your life with joy, unspeakable, and you'll be full of glory. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that 